Welcome to Urban Dharma, the podcast, where suffering is optional. Hi, this is Reverend Kusla coming to you from downtown Los Angeles, from the International Buddhist Meditation Center in the heart of Koreatown. What you're about to hear is Class 4, Part 1 of an extension class I taught at Loyola Marymount University titled Integrating Buddhist Practices into Everyday Life. This was a four-week class that went from September 28th to October 19th, 2006. It's an overview of the Buddhist path as well as an introduction to a Buddhist way of life. Um, in class four, part one, we meditated for 20 minutes, and the audio takes up uh, right after the meditation. So uh, that's why um, we're all really comfortable and relaxed when you hear it. So without further introduction, this is class four, part one, integrating Buddhist practices into everyday life. Well, if any of you were wondering what it's like to meditate at the meditation center where I live, this is exactly how it is. We have helicopters, and we have people talking, and sounds, and I've come to call that the breath of the dragon. And L.A. is the belly of the dragon. (laughs) But every once in a while, he breathes out a little bit of fire, and it turns out to be that. It's just that unceasing sound of the city. So is everybody able to keep track of their counting, even though we had some distractions tonight? Okay. No? Did you go into... uh, I was everywhere. You were everywhere? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And was your counting okay? Okay. Really well last week. Yeah. And then I've done It wasn't the way it was supposed to be. Okay. And she was one of the reasons. That was the main thing. That was the main reason. I mean, I live near the airport. So you're used to that, too. Screaming, to me, that was... sounded like she was distressed. I see. Okay. And did it go away then? Did that sort of, that little bit of anger that's... Okay. Okay. Anybody else have anger at the at the distractions tonight? Feel the anger or the discomfort? Okay. Well, anger uh, can be used uh, skillfully if we're very careful. And to give you a story, uh, my mom used to use it in a very unique way. And when I 
when uh, she was married to her, my stepdad, her second husband, uh, he's now passed away. Um, she sometimes would be uh, a little tired. She works uh, five days a week, still at 79. She's five days a week. Features editor for a small newspaper in northern Wisconsin. And uh, always been active and involved. But her day off, sometimes she just wants to hang out. And so she needed to vacuum because there were people coming over in the evening. And she went over and picked a fight with Stan, her husband. And they got into a little uh, debate. And she was sufficiently energized to go and vacuum the entire house. It was an amazing example of uh, using anger in a positive way. And Stan was a very nice guy. He'd let her <laughs> be angry at him. It was okay with him. You know. So sometimes if we're angry at the voice we hear, and the anger, uh, last week we talked about uh, how sometimes we can be very mindful, but sometimes mindfulness rooted in anger or lust doesn't lead us to liberation. It just leads us to more anger and lust. And if there's a distraction and it really bothers you, you can hear it so well. At least I can. I can hear the inflection in the voice. I can hear every word. And, you know, and if I'm half paying attention, sometimes I'll miss a few words. But with the anger connected to that, I'm right there. And that's the only thing I'm thinking about. I'm very much rooted in the present moment. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting um, dichotomy we find ourselves in. We, we, we don't want that person yelling or speaking loudly because it distracts us, but that distraction keeps us so rooted in the present moment that we can't leave until the anger finally dissipates and then we're allowed to come back to our original object of meditation. Isn't that interesting? So we should go find her and thank her. Not at all. Not at all. It's only counterproductive if you're if the anger takes you to the next level. When you get up out of your chair and go punch her out, then that's not a good thing. That would be the same with fear also, or probably any emotion. If it's happening right now, exactly, it does keep you rooted in the present moment. Yeah, you don't, you can't go past your future, you know. Yeah, so it's interesting. And of course, the helicopter—that sound was happening right now. That wasn't tomorrow's helicopter, which will be there too. But that was tonight's helicopter. And so, if we can't count because the helicopter is flying around us, well, why not make the helicopter our object of meditation? Not so much trying to figure out what kind of helicopter it is. But just how interesting it is that that sound vibrates our eardrum. And, and now, because of that sound, oftentimes certain pictures appear. You know? All the past times we've heard helicopters, all the helicopters we've seen in our life. And so one of those may just appear to us and say, I bet it's that kind of helicopter. You know? And, and really... It's just our eardrum vibrating. But it's vibrating right now. So it is an opportunity to be present. Any sensation 
that's occurring is always happening right now. Yeah, yeah, that's just called sleeping. And, uh, and sleeping is okay, but we can't learn anything when we sleep. And um, um, for me, I find sleep is uh, very seductive. Because if, if it starts out with a sort of a warm, fuzzy, cozy kind of feeling. And then it gets really hard to count. The counting seems to be sort of slurred, if you will, because I'm being seduced by the sleep. And then there's almost a few moments of between sleep and wakefulness that you're not quite sure which one is happening. Uh, but the way we would know if you were sleeping is when your head dropped. You know, and it, it happens, it just sort of starts to bob up and down. And so we can keep track of you, how well you're doing in your meditation practice. If there's a lot of head bobbing, we know you're sleeping. And if you're, you know, nice and straight, good attention, yeah. So um, sometimes we just need to sleep. Sometimes we're just so tired, no matter how hard we struggle against it, it's going to take us over. So, so can we count while we're sleeping? Are you, are you skillful enough to count in your sleep? Well, you know, you might be surprised uh, because, you know, um, we could have a dream where we're counting. Have you ever had been wakened by or uh, woken up by your um, um, alarm clock? And, and so all of a sudden you're having a dream about a fire engine, you know, and then you sort of shake yourself awake and it's just the... Well, we can integrate some of that stuff, wakefulness stuff, into our dreams. And um, um, and so it, it's possible. It's possible to be almost asleep and still count and keep track of where you are. Yeah. And, and I'm sure there are monks doing it right now. You know, I, I've seen monks sleep sitting up. You, you, you would never know they were asleep. They've done it so long and so well. They're just like perfect posture and they're sound asleep. They're not snoring or anything. It's very cool. That's not meditation, but it takes a lot of practice to do that. And uh, so the reason we're meditating is we want to be aware of the present moment experience of our life. And in mindfulness, we simply want to be aware of it. That's it. We don't want to count it. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to categorize it. We don't want to give it a value of good or bad. In mindfulness, we simply want to be aware of the present moment experience of our life. Well, if the visions are happening right now, yeah, that's, that's what's happening. And if you're mindful of the visions without giving them a value or attaching to them and, and, and actually charging them, supercharging the visions, making one thought into a cluster of thoughts, then you're okay. There's a, uh, a friend of mine back in the 80s liked to go to um, Mount Baldy Zen Center. And she liked to do seven-day retreats. And they're up early. They're up three or four in the morning, and they meditate all day long. And uh, no talking, no direct eye contact, just meditating. And um, so around the second or third day, she started to hallucinate. And she saw these eight-foot ants 
And they were just like, you know, out there walking around. And she had never seen eight-foot ants before. And at first she was fearful that she was losing her mind, you know, that she was hallucinating and this meant that something was wrong. And then uh, she'd end up going crazy and they'd have to call people and they'd take her down the mountain and put her in the mental hospital. Uh, those fears left pretty quickly. And, and then she sort of liked the idea of having something to do. And so she just sort of really enjoyed the fact that there were eight-foot ants walking around. And then they went away. And then she was sort of sad because it was back to meditation. <laughs> and so she was counting her breath again. And, and so stuff like that happens, and we can meditate. That can be part of a meditation. If you're doing mindfulness, that simply is what you're aware of now. As soon as you identify with it and saying, uh-oh, I'm hallucinating, well, that's not meditation. That's not mindfulness. You know, that's creating a duality. That's creating separation from the phenomena itself. So mindfulness is very tricky. It's very light, as we talked about last week. It's very light. It's not forced at all. We're simply resting in the present moment on our awareness of the present moment. Just being aware of that. Whatever is coming. It, and, and again, we don't have an object of meditation in mindfulness. We're mindful of everything. So the helicopter was, if you're doing mindfulness and not concentration, because concentration is forced and you want to get deeper and deeper and deeper on, in one-pointedness, if we were doing mindfulness meditation, that woman screaming, that chair being moved, the helicopter, all the sounds that we heard were just things we were aware of. And because we weren't doing concentration, we wouldn't necessarily get angry because it wasn't supposed to be there. Mindfulness is simply being aware of what's happening right now, whether it's everything or nothing. Is there a difference between visions and dreams? You well, uh, yeah, I would think so. Visions usually happen when you're awake, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. And dreams are more... Well, dreams, dreams are out of sleep, which I think is a different kind of consciousness. Is a, Your brain is doing different things. Yeah. It's still not shutting up. It's just doing different things. The brain never shuts up. Unless you're, like, drugged. They're, you know. they're both your unconscious? Well, I, I think perhaps uh, my understanding of dreams, and I'm not an expert on it, is that it is a way that we perhaps uh, categorize our daily experiences, make sense of certain things, you know, resolve issues in our dreams so we don't have to do it in a wakeful life. You know, and, and it really adds to our mental health, apparently, because people that don't dream or can't dream uh, can go nuts. Mm -hmm. So dreaming seems to have a function, mm -hmm. you know. Whereas her visions, which she saw when she was made. Well, the visions were caused, I would imagine, and this is, just, this is just how I look at it. And the reason I look at it this way is because uh, in the 80s, again, uh, the meditation group that I was meditating with decided to rent Samadhi. Now, Samadhi at that point was located in Beverly Hills, and it was a sensory deprivation tank store. They had like five sensory deprivation tanks. And those are tanks that are, the water's heated to external body temperature. There's salt in there so you float, and soundproof and lightproof. And you just dip down into the tank. And just, okay, so we had like 10, 12 people, and what we did is we rented it all night. So when they closed, 
we showed up and we stayed all night. We brought food. And the ones who weren't in the tank were meditating. So you would meditate and then you go in the tank and then you meditate and you go in the tank and you meditate and go in the tank. And what sometimes happens when, when the sensory stuff stops, you're not seeing anything, you're not hearing anything, you start creating it yourself. The mind just starts creating stuff. Because it doesn't work well if it doesn't have stuff to work with. And so some people really like hallucinated while they were in the tank. They were just like, you know, like a drug trip. And uh, William Hurt was in a movie, um, what was that called? I, I have it actually, where he was uh, sort of portraying John Lilly to a certain extent. And John Lilly is the man who did LSD and talked to dolphins. Okay, this is like 70s kind of, you know, nostalgia. And, uh, and so uh, in this movie, what they had was a sensory deprivation tank. And, and, and he would take uh, uh, peyote, uh, mescaline, and go into the tank and hallucinate and see God. Well, uh, if you read uh, Center of the Cyclone by John Lilly, what he did is he took acid, LSD, and went into a sensory deprivation tank. And he found his guides, his inner guides, and they went on journeys together in their mind. This is called Center of the Cyclone. I know this was a different time, a different era. This is when people took drugs to explore. These were pioneers of consciousness. And now people take drugs and go to raves. So it's a little different. (laughs) So it's a little different now. Um, But the mind does tend to create stuff if it's not being stimulated. And I'm assuming because she was sitting there in meditation day after day that all of a sudden she started creating stuff. And the Japanese would call that makio. Those would be the, the visions. Those would be... Um, the distractions from your practice. And the idea when that stuff happens, when the eight-foot ant appears to you, the idea is to simply watch it and then wait for it to go away. Not get too attached to it. Not get averse to it. Don't think you're going nuts. It's just the mind creating like it always does. The mind created this room for us tonight. Yeah. You know? I, I know we think we're in a room and we think we're looking at each other, but we're just... Actually, there's just color and form and firmness and softness, and, uh, and our mind is creating all of this. It's just an amazing thing. Now, you, if you've never had that sort of detached experience of awareness, it's hard to just sort of listen to that sentence and go, what the hell is Kusla talking about? Mm-hmm. But, but when you get into meditation more and more, you, you, you start to see how the mind creates this world for us. And the Buddha at one point said... Our entire universe exists in this fathom-long body. What he was saying was that the world does not exist out there. The world exists in here. Isn't that a little bit like Plato's cave? Yes, similar to that, yes, yes. That's, uh, that's used as an example, Plato's cave, quite often. And that movie is called Altered States, William Hurt, not if anybody sure. is curious. Sure. Finally surfaced in my consciousness. It's still a pretty good movie, and uh, and at the end, love wins out. It has a good ending. So, um, 
as we meditate and are mindful, what we're actually getting ourselves set up to do is watch our world be created. And, and what we start to see is that what's creating it is simply uh, a process, conditions coming together. You know, uh, a match and friction coming together creates a flame. And so it's no great mystery, you know. We don't need to find the first cause. We don't need to look outside ourselves to find creation. We can find creation inside ourselves, moment by moment. Now, that's not to say that there's no external forces at work. We don't go there, though. But uh, there could be at work. But, but what we're seeing, moment to moment, is the way we create the world. And if we're in charge of creating our world, and we're having a bad day, whose fault is that? So we can learn to take responsibility for our good days and our bad days. What kind of mindset do we have in one of our good days? Were we feeling confident, kind, focused, rested? I know sometimes when I don't get enough rest and my schedule seems to be a little too tight, I sometimes get, oh, unkind if people call me on the phone wanting to do surveys. <laughs> you know, it's like spam. I'm thinking, you know, and, and, and I had a, a woman, I must admit, that I uh, was that way uh, last night. A woman called up wanting to do a survey. And I said, well, you know, why don't you just give me your personal phone number and I'll call you at home. And she, you know, and of course that line came from a Seinfeld episode, so it wasn't an original one. But it's just, you get to the point sometimes where, you know, you just don't have enough time. And that's when all the practice in the world uh, just sort of like, you know, falls away. (laughs) And you become very human and angry at the voices. Because actually, she was just a voice in my head, wasn't she? You know, I couldn't see her. I didn't know she really existed. There was just this voice in my head that made me a little angry. So my voice spoke up. And finally, the voice in my head went away once the phone was hung up. <laughs> so it's a different way of looking at the world. So, okay, so I reflected. I, I felt bad about that because in my line of work, I'm not supposed to be that way. There's a lot of pressure on me to be good all the time. And, and when I fail, I think to myself, oh, no, you know, gosh, I hope she doesn't know who I am. <laughs> and, and that moment of reflection allows me to see how I could have been more skillful. It also allows me to see that maybe I should have taken a breath or two before I answered the phone. <sighs> and then, you know, had that sort of nice sort of like just one moment of relaxation but because I was doing a couple things and I had to vacuum and the students were coming for the class last night and the dog needed to be fed and I'm, and I'm just like, I just picked it up. So if I had just taken that breath, <sighs> hello. Or get color. <laughs> get color. <laughs> yeah. Or just let it ring and let the answering machine answer it for me. Uh, so these are the challenges I face, and I think all most meditators do when they see the fact that we actually do create our world. 
you know. And um, if we're having a good day, people are really happy to be around us. They want to be around us. You can't get rid of them. And if you're having a bad day, nobody even wants to look at you. And you're thinking, at least I think to myself, well, gosh, then why am I having such a bad day today? I can never come up with a reason, because more than likely there's a hundred reasons why I'm having a bad day. So the point for me is not why I'm having a bad day, but what do I need to do? How can I turn my bad day into a good day? And today I was sitting at a car dealership waiting for my car to be inspected, and um, and I was having a bad day. It was like three and a half hours. And actually, it was pleasant. The sun was out, and I was watching people try to sell cars and watching all the SUVs come in to have their cars checked. And and then there was my little car. And so I started to do loving-kindness meditation. May I be happy, peaceful, and free from suffering. May all these jerks today be happy, <laughs> peaceful, and free from suffering. <laughs> no. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the jerks all went away. You know? They were just people getting their cars serviced, too. I said, okay. And all the people working on the cars were nice people, and everybody, all the salesmen were pleasant. And, 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 I, and I realized that, yeah, I really did need to change my attitude if I wanted it to be a good day. And I suppose one of the things that meditation allows us to do is simply be aware of that fact. How many of us aren't aware that we're having a bad day? How many of us blame the other guy or gal? You know? What's their problem? Why are they having a bad day? You know, instead of saying, hey, I need to do some loving kindness. I need to love all these people. And if I can't love them, at least I need to be kind to them. Okay. May I be happy, peaceful. And then you just start that mantra. And it does change the way you relate to the people around you. It actually works. So I, I try to use it in my life. I try to reflect on if I'm skillful... What were some of the conditions that allowed me to be skillful? If I'm unskillful, what are some of the conditions that prevented me from being skillful? And did I have anything in my bag of tricks that I could have done to make it different? Could I have taken like, and just taken that big breath and just have that time out before you pick up the phone or talk to the service manager? Whatever your deal is, you know. Okay. Now, as usual, I don't shut up. Why don't we take um, five minutes, take a break, and then we'll does, we'll go in questions and answers if anybody has any questions. And then a quick overview, but I'm thinking a bit more philosophical this time because you've already heard the first one during the first class, which is sort of a rat-a-tat-tat, rat-a-tat-tat. And this one will be just sort of like an unfolding of a Buddhist life and where it's going. Okay, let's take a break. Well, that's it. That was class four, part one 
of an extension class I taught at Loyola Marymount University entitled Integrating Buddhist Practices into Everyday Life. Hope you found it interesting. Hope you found it useful. Part 2 of Class 4 will be uh, posted really soon. So, um, if you'd like to know more about me, please visit my website, kusala.info. That's kusala.info. If you'd like to listen to more podcasts and interviews that I've done, please visit dharmatalks.info. That's dharmatalks.info. If you'd like to download some free ebooks on Buddhism and a 2007 Buddhist calendar in PDF, which you can then print, uh, please visit buddhabooks.info. That's buddhabooks.info. And if you'd like to email me, my email address is kusala at urbandharma.org and I'll get back with you just as soon as I can. Well, until uh, the next podcast, until the next time, be happy, be peaceful, and most of all, be free from suffering.